But please turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Paul to the Colossians. If you have a pew Bible, the Bible's in kind of in front of you, that's page 924, page 924. Hopefully you do have a Bible. Um, certainly you, you have a device that probably has a Bible in it. Um, but I'm going to ask that you kind of, you're watching the scripture as we're going through it today. Um, so typically I cover for kind of like uh, come in and teach when Greg's away. Um, this year, as I do that, instead of kind of just you getting whatever I'm thinking about that week, we're going to continue through Colossians. And so I'm really excited for that. I feel like I'm going to be a little bit talk fasty today because I'm so excited about Colossians. And so if, if I just give me like the slow down. All right. Um, so we're going to continue through Colossians kind of all year um, as I come in and, and, and fill in for Greg. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read through it in the beginning here, and I want you to try to take note of the kind of roadmap that we're going to be on. Kind of give, it, give you the skeleton, and, and that maybe that will be helpful to make sense of it. So please take note of the author's initial greeting um, as we read. Then he's going to go into like why he's thankful for this church. And then he's going to give them a kind of a description about how he's praying for them. So watch out for those things as we read. Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love, that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit, sorry, let's go back to verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transfer, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that your spirit would be the one teaching us today that we would hear your voice encouraging, challenging us, maybe in instances dividing us down the middle and convicting us where we need conviction and giving us hope where we need hope. So Lord, we thank you for it and the preservation of it through the, through the generations and ask that you would speak to us today personally and as a church. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. All right. So, this is just his greeting. He's just, hey guys, here's who I am. Here's who I'm writing to. Here's why I'm thankful. Here's how I'm praying for you. But you can see just at the outset that it is so dense, right? There's like, he jam packs so much truth into this little greeting. It's like when I was a kid, you know, I lived over in uh, Langhorn and uh, just like a little suburb neighborhood, Cider Knoll, if you know it. And there was some woods connected to our neighborhood, and me and my friends, we would go into the woods and do things that you do in the woods, not good things, all right? And so, but I remember going through the woods, and they felt huge to me. Like, they felt like, man, you could get lost in these things if you tried. But now you go as an adult, and it feels like, um, this is not that big, you know, the railroad's right there. Um, 
And, you know, this idea, we come to a passage like this, and most of the New Testament epistles are like this, where they just feel like they're so thick, and they, it kind of gets us like, I don't know, sometimes I sense a, a hesitancy, like all, all, that, all that getting deep into all those truths that he just shared, that's, that's too much for me. It, the, the woods are too thick. The woods are too thick to go into that. It's okay that we don't understand everything about the, especially the New Testament epistles the first time we go through it, or the second time we go through it, or the fifth time we go through it, or the hundredth time we go through it. Are we really, you know, I think we think like somehow the, 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 the scripture is going to be fully graspable. Like that's, that's, like when you say it out loud, that's absurd. And so we can, it's, it's an encouragement that even though there's depth to it, we can keep going back and back and back. And the woods do start to feel a little bit more familiar as we do that. It's still going to be like the Canadian North, where they're just gonna, you're never going to explore it all. Good luck. But we can keep going back knowing that there's going to be familiarity and good things are going to be happening. So as we go through Colossians, I'm going to miss things that you see. I'm going to, I had to cut, you know, my, my sermon notes were like 50 pages long. And I was like, I'm not going to do the Greg thing. So I'm going to cut everything out. And I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to cut a lot out. And so if the Lord's t- kind of encouraging you in some way that I don't mention, write it down. That's the Spirit speaking to you. It is wonderful. So that's just kind of my like qualifier. That I'm not going to hit everything that you say. All right, so a little bit of background about this letter. If you're unaware, obviously Paul is the writer. That's how they wrote letters. They kind of started with who wrote it. Timothy's with him, probably as his secretary. In all likelihood, he's writing this from prison in Rome. Uh, Towards the end of Acts, uh, there's this kind of note of him being imprisoned. He's probably writing this this with a couple other letters are called the prison epistles. and so you see, you, as we kind of went through in verse 7, you saw Epaphras is the one that kind of delivers some news about this Colossian church. In all likelihood, Paul never met any of these people personally. Okay, so if you, look, if you put up that slide about, um, from Acts 19, uh, Kevin, in Acts 19, which will be in probably a couple weeks on Sunday, you see that towards the end, that yellow part, he's talking about his... Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and he says this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul is ministering in Ephesus for a pretty hefty amount of time considering who he is and the way he travels, and it says that the gospel was going forth in such a way that all of Asia was hearing the word of the Lord, and Ephesus was about 175, 100 miles from Colossae. So we're imagining, you know, using our um, divine imagination, that somehow Epaphras from Colossae heard this message from Paul when he was in Ephesus. And Epaphras brings it back to Colossae, and the, and the Lord's doing a work in Epaphras' life, and he starts sharing it, and the church is born in this kind of smaller city about 100 miles away. And Paul ends up in Rome at some point, and Epaphras has to go to Rome to visit Paul to kind of get some guidance on some things. And we'll get to that kind of later in the year as we go further into Colossians about the, the, the troubles that they were having. But Epaphras travels all the way to Rome to kind of bring Paul two things. One, a testimony of the good things that the Lord's doing. You, you, you guys saw it. He made known to us, Epaphras, your love in the Spirit. Okay? So he, he tells him the good things. And then he also has to ask him for some advice about some other things. But Epaphras stays in Rome, we find out. Epaphras stays with Paul in Rome. And, in, and Paul writes a letter, this letter, along with uh, three other letters, Ephesians, um, Philemon, and a letter that we don't know to the Laodiceans that we don't have, and uh, Tychicus, what's his name? Tychicus? You know what I'm saying. 
um, Tychicus, I think it is, is the one who delivers. So Epaphras stays and Tychicus goes with these letters and he delivers them to these churches. And so that's how the Colossians get their letter back. Epaphras, they're the one that kind of brought them the gospel, has stayed, and Tychicus comes and gives them this letter that we have in our hands. This whole plan works because of this, like I said, the geography. Can you put up those maps? Um, so you see this is the kind of Mediterranean area. If you start on the left, it's kind of Italy or Rome. That's where Paul would be, then Greece, and then Asia. And if you zoom in, go ahead. This is the area that we're talking about. And so you see that Lycus River. Ephesus is on the, uh, the is like a port city out there. And down or, you know, across is Laodicea, Heropolis, and Colossae. And those three cities were kind of associated with each other. And so uh, the letters come and they hit Ephesus and then they, go, they keep going to Laodicea and Colossae. And we'll see at the end of Colossians in 4 that they were supposed to swap letters with the Laodiceans. Okay? And when this letter has been read among you and you have read it in the church of the Laodiceans, see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so they're supposed to swap. We don't have anything about that letter which is the Lord's provision. And so, um, but that's how the whole letter got to. Everyone with me? We're good? We're good? All right, we got the background. We can move on? Wonderful. All right, let's go into Paul's greeting. You put up uh, verses one and two there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. The author, Paul. This is a very common greeting for Paul. All right, this, if you read the rest of his letters, it almost looks identical where he, he states who he is. He, he talks about his apostleship, okay? The apostle means sent one. I'm not going to go into a lot of this because we've already talked about it in, through Acts. Um, so kind of in a sense, we're all apostles because we're all kind of sent out to do the work of the ministry. But that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was saying like kind of big A.S. apostle, like I have the authority to speak these things to you through the will of God and through the authority of Jesus Christ. So there's no more of those apostles. If someone says they're that kind of apostle, you need to stop listening. Um, so that's, he's kind of just giving himself some credibility. This is who I'm speaking on. Hey, as you guys listen to me, hear these words based on the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what he's kind of communicating. Timothy is with him probably writing it for him, and he writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. This is not two separate groups of people, which you might read and be like, hey, it's, who are those, the saints, and who are the brothers? It's one group of people described two different ways. If you come from a Catholic kind of background, you might think of saints as some kind of like elite version of a Christian, all right? They've attained to some degree, and they've been named a saint of metalworking or something like that, and this is not what he's talking about. Saints just means holy ones, all right? So the work that the Lord does in any brother in Christ or sister in Christ is the work of making them a saint or a holy one as they are, their sinfulness is replaced with Christ's righteousness and therefore they're made holy. So there are many saints in this room. Not everyone's a saint probably, I'd imagine, but for those that are in Christ, you are, would be considered a saint. And so he writes to the saints and faithful brothers. He'll unpack a little bit more about what he means by faithful. What's it mean by faithful? He'll get into that a little bit later. And he gives a very common greeting, or more like a blessing, grace and peace to you from God our Father. All those, again, this kind of greeting, this beginning opening is very common among his other ones. This isn't just like a throwaway, like, I hope all is well with you. Anyone ever write that in an email? You don't really care if all is well with them. Um, but you write it because it's common, right? This isn't just like a throwaway thing. I think Paul sincerely is hoping grace and peace from the only place that can come from God our Father. I want that for you. I want you to live into that. I think Paul really means that when he writes that, even though we see it as common. Everyone good? Is it too fast? 
All right, good. So now, with kind of that greeting out of the way, he's going to begin. And we have to remind ourselves, Paul's in prison on behalf of the gospel, and he's never met these people. Keep that in mind as we keep going. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's sharing, listen, I've heard these things, and I'm praying for you guys. I'm expressing this thankfulness, and who is the thankfulness towards? Even though it's, he's thankful for the Colossians, he's not thanking them for some kind of good work that they're doing. He's actually thanking the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for them. Okay, so again, he's, the subject is the Colossians, but he's actually thanking God. And he's, he's, there's like this, it feels like Paul's overwhelmed by the good work the Lord's doing. Epaphras has shared all these amazing things about what the gospel has done in Colossae, and Paul is just, his heart's overwhelmed, and he's praying to God on a, in, a, in, a, in, a ter- in a way of thanksgiving. And so what are Paul and Timothy, and probably other leaders there, what are they thankful for specifically? They're thankful, but what are they thankful for? Notice the since in verse 4. You guys see the yellow since? That helps us to determine what they're thankful for. He's thankful that, they've, that he's heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Okay, so he's thankful for the faith in Christ and an evidence of that faith that's being expressed by how they love one another. Verse 5 kind of at the end there, even starts to give reason for their faith and their love. You see, because, and so all these little prepositions are important, because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. So they have faith and they have love, and it's intensified or resourced by the hope that they have in heaven. And that hope, like that laid up is like, it's kind of like on guarded reserve, or it's like on layaway. It's been bought, but it's on layaway. It's not kind of in, it's not in your hands yet, but it's, it's, it's rightfully yours. Um, and so verse 6 shows us that that hope, we'll quickly go, uh, actually, I don't think you have verse 6. Don't look at verse 6 yet. Um, we'll keep going. Paul's basically saying, guys, Timothy and I, to the Colossians, Timothy and I are so thankful because of the evidence of faith in Christ and love for one another that your brother Epaphras has reported. We know that you're showing these qualities because you are grasping the hope that is reserved for you in heaven, a hope that first became yours when you heard the message of truth, the message of good news. You can put that back up. This helps me visually when I do this with the scripture. We always thank God since we've heard of these things because of this. Okay? Hope this is encouraging to you as you see where the source of faith and love is coming from. All right? Sometimes we feel a little short on faith or a little short on love. And we're wanting a little bit more. Paul's giving a little bit of a... a even in just as he says how he's praying for you, he's giving us some insight on where that comes from. So you've seen faith, hope, and love. And you guys have heard these things. You've, you've kind of recognized, well, this is like a little bit of a triad that I've heard before. If you do a Bible search, you'll find that this three, this three-part thing, Paul talks about a lot. Can you put up that next slide about all? So in all these places, Paul and Tim and Peter, you'll see that one, Peter talk about faith, hope, and love. And he talks about, they, they talk about how they relate in different ways in all these verses. And so one thing, one little piece of homework that I'd encourage you to do is maybe this week, Dig into those verses and see how they relate, how faith, hope, and love relate to each other differently in different places. 
And I think that would be maybe an encouragement to you. If you want that slide afterwards, um, we'll get that in your hands. So he talks about it in all these various ways. But specifically in our passage in Colossians today, we see that Paul concludes that the engine that is powering their love, for those guys that like engines and stuff, the engine that's powering their love for one another is this hope laid up in heaven. This is probably typically where I stop. Great, got it. Hope laid up in heaven. That's what's powering faith and love. But I think going into the woods a little bit more to go back to our other metaphor, we have to ask the question, how does love come from hope? How does love for one another come from hope? How is it produced by hope? And this, you know, this kind of goes alongside because I know that there's often times where I feel like I don't love well enough. But imagining I'm not the only one in here, especially when we think about the love that Christ had for us, this kind of sacrificial, radical type of love that gives of ourself more than we take. That type of love, I feel a little bit short on sometimes. And so as I read about faith, hope, and love, one of the very obvious application questions is, well, could these things be said of me? You can put up the next slide. Could this same report about faith, hope, and love that Paul is getting from Epaphras be said of us? And I know that for me, the one, the, the one word that starts to make me feel a little bit, uh, is that word of love. Love for one another, especially Jesus' type of love. So how does faith come from love? Well, one kind of start to that question, answering that question, is to see how hope and faith are different. Okay, how are hope and faith different? One simple way to think about it is faith looks backwards. Faith looks backwards to what Jesus did on the cross and that as we rest in his accomplished work on the cross to take away our sins and to give us his righteousness, good things come from that, from meditating on looking back at the cross. Hope looks forward. Hope looks forward to how Jesus is going to bring to completion all that he has begun in us. That new creation, that born-again person that is in Christ is being matured. And hope looks forward to what that maturity looks like even into eternity. So hope, faith looks backwards. Hope looks forward. So again, our question, how does hope develop into love? Well, when I think about hope and looking forward to, I think about all the blessings of heaven. Some of the blessings of heaven that came to my mind, maybe some are coming to your mind, is it kind of the new creation. No more natural disasters, right? The, the, the world stop is going to, the, the created world is going to stop being kind of in chaos. No more disease. Is that a blessing that is found in that kind of hope? is how about that, that mansion that's being built on behalf of you? Is that, you know, is there hope? Yeah, that's exciting. That's a blessing. How about lack of suffering or tears or trials or discomfort? Right? This is, this is the blessings of heaven. How about reuniting with the saints that have gone before us? See, all these sound great. All these blessings of heaven that are laid up in heaven sound great but I don't know if they produce in me a love see I'm th as I as I as I took some time this week to kind of think about those things I never kind of felt the bubbling up of love for another person based on those blessings so something about hope is that develops into love is different from the blessings of heaven as, I've been, as I thought about this, I talked to Kyle a lot about it um, in the office. So what does, what does cause love to be born in us? Well, I don't think it's the blessings, but I think it's 
meditating on the one who brings the blessings. See, when I contemplate, I'm going to have to read this because I want to, I want to get really uh, accurate here. When I contemplate on the love that I have in heaven, I think about being face to face with Jesus. We sang it in the last song. I think it was the last song. Being face to face with Jesus. Imagine that. Just take one millisecond and imagine being face to face with Jesus. To see him kind of clearly, with clarity. See, right now when I think about Jesus, when I, when I even close my mind's eye and, and imagine being before him, it's still clouded by my own sinfulness. The old man and the things that I'm wrestling with, it's all cloudy. I can, the more I spend with him, the, the, the closer I grow with him, it, it, gets un, it gets clearer. But to see with like crystal clear clarity face-to-face with Jesus, to sense his love for me that's unashamed. No shame. I can just be enveloped by his love. To relate to him with clarity and with greater daily depths of love. See, when I, if I take some time, and I did take some time this week to do that, I feel like that's what starts to bubble up love. That's what starts to bubble up love. Thinking, meditating on being face-to-face with Jesus, pure relationship with Jesus. That's the hope that is laid up in heaven for us, that we, we can be confident that that is coming. So if you're feeling low on love, that's what I encourage you to. I encourage you to explore, meditate, and even ask brothers and sisters in Christ, to feed you what they know about that hope that's laid up in heaven. And I imagine that that would have a good work. That love would start to bubble up. So let's get back to our passage. We're going to pick up in verse 6. He said, you know, he had talked about the, the word of truth that had come to them, the gospel. He kind of says the word and truth and the gospel, that's the same thing. And he kind of, in Paul's very typical fashion, he gets excited and he just starts running with his sentence, and he starts taking rabbit trails, and you got to come back, and you got to figure out what was he talking about. So he goes down a rabbit trail, and he, because he gets he, that word gospel triggers that gospel that's come to you, and as, as indeed it's come, it's going into the whole world, and it's bearing fruit and increasing, like it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul would be very equipped to say these words because he was in the center of the world in Rome, right? And evidenced by Epaphras bringing this report. I'm sure other people were bringing reports from around the empire about what the gospel is doing. And so he's very credible to say these words, that the gospel is going out into the whole world and doing those things. It reminds us about Genesis 1.28. Maybe you guys recall this initial calling on the life of Adam and Eve to go and to be fruitful and multiply into the world. Fill the earth and subdue it. What God gave them as a physical calling, now he is doing through Christ and the Holy Spirit in a spiritual sense. Now the gospel is going forth, right? This is the, that's, you have to notice that that's the one doing the work, the gospel, the word of truth is going into the world and bearing fruit and increasing or multiplying. And how encouraging it is for it would have been for the Colossians to hear these words. Right? Not only is the Lord doing that in our life, but He's going through and He's doing it in the world around us as well. It's very encouraging. Anyway, the gospel's influence is being felt both extensively as it goes region to region around the empire, and it's being felt intensively, meaning in them personally, in the Colossians together, as a, as a church and as a body of, and as individuals, the gospel is also bearing fruit there as we see. Hearts that hear and understand the grace of God and truth. And this, isn't, this wouldn't be a surprise to the Jewish Christian listening because in Isaiah 11, 
or Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. Many of you guys know this verse. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So as that happens, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So Paul just give, is just giving them a greater perspective of the life of Christ, the way of Christ. It's not just happening to you guys. It's happening throughout the world. And so that's his little rabbit trail, and he comes back. He says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. That's, this is where the message comes from. I'm not quite sure we can understand how the gospel does that. You know, like we know it's happening, but it's still kind of a miracle, right? This, the gospel goes forth, the word, the seed, it, goes, it gets scattered throughout, but we're not quite sure how it changes hearts. I think that's something we kind of reserve for the Lord. But we know who scattered this seed. You know, he says, this is, this is where you got your seed, Epaphras. He's a beloved servant, and he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras, again, probably in Ephesus, hears the word. It, it bears fruit in him. The gospel goes into his life and it bears fruit and he goes and do you think Epaphras knew everything about walking with Christ before he started sharing with the Colossians no no he didn't have it all locked down he just went and shared what he had would have been shared with him and he goes into Colossae and starts sharing and that seed that came from I'm thinking back to yesterday with Mike Foch that seed that came from Paul which came from the Lord is now going through Epaphras into Colossae. And it's producing, and it's producing the fruit of the Spirit. You see that he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. He didn't go with like some like bad report, right? He didn't go and like, man, these guys don't get it. No, he goes and he says, this gospel is bearing fruit. The love that they have for one another is quite remarkable. Supernatural. In John um, 13, 34, and 35, Jesus would say, A new commandment I give to you, that, by, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Again, a Jesus type of love. You also are to love one another. And he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our testimony to the world is the way in which we love one another. So it's, I think it's important that we get that one kind of as a foundation for our lives. Anyway, Paul's excited about this. He would even say in Galatians, he kind of already gave the Galatian church that he loves to hear reports like this. It says in uh, Galatians 6, 6, I think it is. I don't have it in front of me. There it is. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Epaphras took that. Paul, Paul said, Epaphras, when you go back to Colossae, if, if the gospel, if it starts to bear fruit, come and tell me. I want to be encouraged by it. And so he did. That's good, right? Hey, man. All right, let's go on. Our last section. We've seen that. Um, again, this is, again, a run-on sentence from verse 3. And so i got to keep pulling us back to there. He starts to thank God because of the faith, hope, and love that came from the gospel through Epaphras, that's, and it's doing the same work in all the rest of the world. And so he's continuing back to that idea of praying for them. From the day we heard, again, we, Timothy, at least with him, we have not ceased to pray for you. And what are they praying for? He gives them a description. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The primary thing that Paul is praying for the Colossian church is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, that feels a little unattainable to me, to know all of God's will, right? Paul seems to be asking, Lord, I want them to grasp what is ungraspable. It seems like, can we start with picking up the socks off the floor? Like, that's where we should start, not with grasping all of God's will. This, this is where Paul starts. He starts by asking the Lord that I want you to give them knowledge of, God, knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, I was wondering, what is the will of God? You know, I'm, sh- I'm sure a-, a lot of you would love, raise your hand if you would love to know what God's will is for your life. I think that's a pretty common question or a common request that we want to know, God, what's your will for my life? So I started digging into it, kind of like I did faith, hope, and love. Little word search, God's will, will of God. You know, what's going to come up? How can I know what God's will is for my life? And this is very helpful. This was very helpful. Maybe it's your second homework assignment to go do that. We got some concordances you can grab on the way out. But we want to know what God's specific will is for our life. Maybe it's a cry of your heart for a job situation. A little frustrated at work. Lord, is your will that I, that I move on to find a new job? Should I stay? Maybe it's a relationship. Is this the girl or guy that you have for me, Lord? All right, we, these are the questions. Kids, should, I, should we have kids? How many kids? Should we buy a house? Should we rent? Should, what should I study in college? Should I go to college? What college should I go to? What should I do if I don't go to college? Right, you guys can, you're with me, right? You're thinking of your own questions. Where should I serve in the church? Should I retire? Should I move? What should I, city should I move to? Should I save money? Should I spend money? Should I invest money? What investment should I make? However, when you survey the scriptures, we find that when God speaks about his will, it is almost completely focused on his will for redemption. That he has a redemption plan and it is his will that it would come to fruition. There is very little specifics about God's will for our lives. Very little. But there's some. You want to hear them? You want to hear them? All right. First one is, this one's exciting. You guys are going to love it. You guys are going to be able to go out and do it today. God's will is that we live holy, set-apart lives. That's exciting, right? Now you know where to get a job. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification your growth, your holiness. That is God's will for our lives. Second, we are always to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Now you know how many kids to have. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And third, God's will is for you to be doing good. 1 Peter 2 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And Ephesians, talking kind of about employees and how you work, says that as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service for, with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. You want to know God's specific will? will? I can stand up here and be like, I know what God's will for your life is. I know what his will for my life is. It's to be sanctified and growing in that sanctification. It's to be giving thanks for my salvation. And it's to be doing good based on those things. Not as exciting, right? (laughs) Sorry. I have this quote from Kevin DeYoung. If you're struggling with wanting to know God's specific will for your life in those kind of non-moral issues... If you want to know, and you're struggling with that, a great book would be Kev- Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something. In it, he says, God certainly cares about these decisions insofar as he cares for us in every detail of our lives. It's not like he doesn't care about your job or your, 
or your wife or your husband or, you know, where you live. It's not like he doesn't care. Like he's like, whatever, that doesn't matter to me. Of course he cares. But in another sense, and this was the point that he's trying to make, these are not the most important issues in this book, the Bible. The most important issues for God are moral purity, theological fidelity, compassion, joy, our witness, faithfulness, hospitality, love, worship, and faith. These are his big concerns. The problem is that we tend to focus most of our attention on everything else. We obsess over the things God has not mentioned and may never mention, while by contrast, we spend little time on the, all the things God has already revealed to us in the Bible. This is a huge issue going on in the church that we, we feel like we're handicapped unless we know God's will for us. Let's go with what he already has revealed. And as we focus on his general will for us, the specific will gets a lot easier. It gets a lot easier. You are allowed to ask for clarity from him. Like, oh, I'm never going to ask him about a husband or a wife or, you know, any of those other details. Right? You are allowed to ask. There's examples of it all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. It's just not clear how they actually got their answer. It's not clear. And so we have some clarity here in the scripture. And let's, let's depend upon it. It also says in Proverbs, um, if you go put up slide 35, that there's safety in the abundance of counselors. And so if you are wrestling with one of these things, these specific things, bring people along that know you and love the Lord and give them, give them the burden of helping you with a decision that's especially not clear from Scripture. Nothing falls in line with God's will that falls out of line with God's word. Okay, you can depend, like, you can make your standard the scripture. So, he doesn't ask for scripture, spiritual wisdom and understanding just for the sake of the intellect, though. Just to know. Look down in verse 10. It says that he asks so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This wisdom, this understanding, this understanding of God's will is for the purpose of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And as he shares what the purpose of that is, he also shares what he means by walking worthy of the Lord. There's some, there's uh, kind of three little sections that would describe what he means by what it means to walk worthy of the Lord. So he wants them to have everything that they need so as a way to walk worthy of the Lord. When I was in athletic training, when we would go to an away game, we had to pack the medical trunks. And so it was like six big trunks, you know, huge things that would have all the resources we need for any injury that would come up, right? And so we would sit there the week before and take our inventory list and make sure every little nook and cranny had exactly the right number of band-aids and splints and you know iv bags and you know all this stuff we had and we then we would travel with that to an away game it, it would go on the airplane or on the bus and it would go there so then when we got there we had everything to need that we needed to do our job and that's what paul's praying for i need you to have everything you need to walk worthy with the lord and that comes through that understanding and so here's what he means by walking worthy of the Lord. If you look at the first, uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, we're still in verse 10. First thing he means by walking worthy of the Lord, that we're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, the first thing is that we're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this, re remember, we, this recalls us back to verse 6, that that's what the gospel was doing. Right? The gospel was bearing fruit in every good work and increasing. And now he's saying, as that gospel has come into your life, now you're going to be bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's one part of walking worthy of the Lord, that you'd bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. Number two, the, that uh, verse 11, being strengthened. This is... Uh, the, the, the second thing that he means by walking worthy of God, 
that you're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now look at this. This is huge. This is, I mean, we could spend a day on this. He's asking that we would be strengthened, the Colossian church would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. Now think about, try to comprehend how mighty God is. And he's saying that I want you to be strengthened according to that kind of strength. It's not from that kind of strength. It's according to that kind of strength. Like if you were, to re- if you were in, in line to receive an inheritance of uh, the, the person that was um, giving it to you was a multi-billionaire. Would you want to receive inheritance from that? That could be from zero dollars to multi-billion dollars. That's from or in accordance with the wealth. I would want to take it from in accordance, matching what the wealth is, right? And so when he's saying be strengthened, he's saying in accordance with God's strength. And what is that strength for? What is that power for? What is that might for? Typically, we think about miracles when we think about praying for God's power. He's saying, I want it so that you can endure and be patient that you can endure and be patient. That's what I want it for. There's uh, those, two different, those two different words kind of have like a little bit of a nuance, endurance and patience. One is kind of related to circumstances of life. You get cancer. Your house gets flooded. The car breaks down. Like endurance. That's what he means by that first word. The second word, the King James does a good, I think, does a better job with it, long-suffering. It's related to relationships and people. So I need you to have, to be strengthened with the might of God so that you can be patient and endure circumstances and the troubles with people, the hardships with people, and you can do it with joy. That's what it means to walk worthy with God. Sometimes we don't like that kind of inner work as much as we like the outer work, like someone getting healed um, miraculously or the Lord providing miraculously. But I think the scripture shows that the inner work is sometimes a little bit better. Proverbs 16, 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes his city. James would also go into that, talking about, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. That's who's blessed. And you heard about the steadfastness of Job, and our mind just goes into, oh, that's what you mean by steadfastness. Now, if you have a New American Standard Bible or a Christian Standard Bible, it's a little bit, it's worded a little bit differently. Let's put it the ESV first. You'll see as it goes from verse 12 into verse, or sorry, verse 11 into verse 12, the, the joyfulness is kind of associated with the patience and endurance. You guys see that? That you endure and be patient with joy. Now, if you go to the NASB or the CSB, you'll see it's means joyously giving thanks to the Father. It puts the joyous on the other side. This is just a translator thing. They had to decide on what it meant. It's kind of confusing on what it means. Guess what? Both work. Are you supposed to suffer with joy? Yep. Are you supposed to joyously give thanks to the Father? Yep. So whatever version you have, go with it. Uh, I particularly like the the second version better, um, but guess what? I didn't write it. Um, so I'm not sure either. Let's go into our last, our last way that we walk worthy of God. We give thanks to the Father. And why do we give thanks to the Father? Because he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us or translated us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin. The gospel is basically expounded upon right here. 
That's what he means when he talked about the gospel, the word of truth that has come to you. He means that we're supposed to give thanks to the Father because he is the one who has qualified us to have the inheritance, that hope of heaven. And he has done the deliverance from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's in him we have redemption. We've been bought back. There is no more claim on our life because he has paid the claim, the forgiveness of sins. And he's going to take that whole thing, that whole excited prayer for us, and now he's going he's to, as we see next time, he's going to move into this is Jesus, the preeminent one. And he's going to go from there. So don't read ahead. You're not allowed. Let's pray. Lord, this is who you are. The one who has qualified us when we couldn't qualify ourselves. The one who made an exchange of your life for ours. This is who you are. The one that has taken us from the domain of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of your son. And we can experience that here on this side of heaven with you. But as we ponder being face to face with our Savior and our Lord, you do a work in us that bears fruit in your name. And Lord, so the same prayer that Paul prayed for this church, we pray for ourselves. That spiritual wisdom and understanding about your will would grow in our hearts and our minds and cause us to walk worthy in your name and fellowship with you and with one another. It's in your sons and we pray.